0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Consulting with Authority. This is Scott Cantrell, uh, joined by a new acquaintance of mine, someone that I've had a few conversations with and has been very, very impressed with every time I've spoken with him. Um, I've already taken uh, pages of notes from our respective conversations, and I want to welcome to the podcast founder and managing director of Red Beach Advisors and founder and CEO of Starting Point, um, uh, Ray McKenzie, to the podcast today. Ray, thank you so much for joining us. Really glad to have you here.
1: Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me on, Scott. I'm looking forward to this interview.
0: Yeah, very good. So, Ray, where I wanted to begin, and I know a little bit about this from our past conversations, but I I wanted you to kind of give everybody an idea for how you got to where you are, because you built a very impressive advisory firm in in the terms of Red Beach. um, And you do some very specific work in the consulting space. And as you know, this podcast is for consultants, basically by consultants, And it's always nice to profile different businesses and and how they got to where they are and kind of what they look like. Tell us a little bit about your background and um, how Red Beach Advisors was was created.
1: Definitely. So I spent um,
0: 15 years in
1: corporate America um, working for early stage and publicly traded companies between San Francisco, Washington, D.C., and Los Angeles. Um, And Los Angeles was kind of the last stop for a corporate stop. And then, and over the years I'd worked in different areas, started out in service delivery, and then it moved over into kind of professional services. And then it moved into um, business operations and strategy, and then global service delivery, Um, traveling all around the world every two weeks, you know, just the corporate, the corporate grind. Yeah. Um, And then I kind of went to, so my wife and I, we have four kids, You know, I went to a lunch. I just took a day off work, went to lunch, live near the beach. Next thing you know, it's a Tuesday and everybody out there Tuesday at one o'clock is living their best life. Yeah. And and I'm like, hey, you know, I'm familiar with San Francisco, Washington, D.C. and the corporate culture, you know, seven to five and the grind and every day is the same and I, I went to lunch and I had some conversation with some random strangers about kind of they were asking me what I did for a living I was asking them what they did for a living and leaving that lunch I left with I want to start my own firm and I want to start my own firm for a few different reasons but well obviously one of the key reasons is we have my wife and I we have four kids and you know our kids are all active in different sports and somebody's got to be around to take them and move them around to different places yeah. and stuff like that and so I felt by by taking, it, I guess, creating my own firm, I would have the ability and the flexibility to, to manage my family and contribute to the family and be around a little bit more for my boys and my daughter. And so with that, um, left that lunch, uh, said, hey, I think I want to start my own firm. I don't know when it's going to happen. I don't know how it's going to happen. Within the next two weeks, I got calls from two CEOs asking if I could help Consult them, and there's mid mid market mid sized companies, and I said, "Well, yeah, I'll take a shot at it. You know, let's let's see. I'm working full time over here, but I'll also do this." That led into finding out that I loved consulting. Yeah, because it allowed me the opportunity to work on engaging um, projects with people I wanted to work with and help, and then obviously I was able to dictate and control my time. Mm-hmm. and travel and everything of that nature. And so it allowed me kind of the opportunity to be creative, to kind of bring different ideas, um, to help companies and affect change and actually show demonstrated change while also being rewarded appropriately because I have my own company. Right. And so that's how I started Red Beach Advisors eight years ago. Okay. Uh, and so it, that firm started out, obviously, you know, very small with two clients, um, primarily my career has entirely been in tech and cybersecurity, um, working with companies focused on, you know, go-to-market strategy, operational efficiency, process, procedure, and then also digital transformation at a time where a lot of companies are looking for different solutions to problems across the business. Yep.
0: And that's kind of how my career started originally. That's fantastic. That's good. Um, and I certainly Understand and can relate to the autonomy piece, right? Of of having your own business, and one of the things I, I may want to come back to, and maybe circle back a little bit later in the podcast is so many um, consultants, specifically ones who come from that corporate grind world that you were describing. You know, they decide to start their own practice, their own firm, their own advisory, uh, with the intention of of freeing up time. But oftentimes the opposite happens, right, is uh, you just create a new job for yourself. So obviously you've been very intentional and strategic and very motivated to make sure you maintain um, a life balance and a level of autonomy within your business that allows you to to have that lifestyle that 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 you that you saw when you had that epiphany uh, at that lunch that day. So I'd love to yeah. circle back around to that Um Maybe, maybe. Why, why delay it? Let's just go ahead and jump into that because it's such a it's such an impactful part of this, of this experience of being a consultant is not just creating another job for yourself where you're having to grind it out all the time. What do you think your to to use the cliched word? What do you think your secrets are uh, to maintaining that life balance and success and being able to have that autonomy but still get meaningful work done for your clients?
1: Yeah, definitely. I, I think throughout my career, I've always worked, gosh, six in the morning, maybe sometimes five in the morning to yeah. five, six, seven at night. Yeah. And so that the work ethic was always there. So sure. it wasn't about just being able to really just take, you know, half the day and take half the day off and just do nothing. It was more so about being able to control my time and my count. Okay. You know, mm-hmm. so if I've got, if we've got, several different clients we're working on engagements with the thought is i can work on them from five to maybe three in the afternoon five yeah. in the morning, to three in the afternoon obviously lunch breaks you get some gym time in things like that yeah. but five in the morning to three in the afternoon and then from three on i didn't have the ability if the kids have practice you mm-hmm. know if my mom has to go run and run errands or she has something for her company um you know, I have the flexibility to move things around mm-hmm. and that's really it. You know, where if I needed to say, I needed to, at the time, my son would be playing basketball tournament out of town. He may be playing Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Um, I I can leave on Wednesday and I can work from wherever the basketball tournament is on Thursday and Friday. And obviously this is pre COVID. Right. So Yeah. yeah. You know, th- that understanding wasn't there all the time before. So, Really, just the ability for me to control my calendar and mm-hmm. for me to schedule meetings with my clients and customers um, that provided me a way, a much better lifestyle at that yeah. time. I could be able to do both and I could still get all the engagements and the work done and the interviews and design process and develop strategies and things like that. But also at the same time, I had the ability to, to take care of the family.
0: Yeah. Be around. Yeah. Yeah. In the way that you wanted to, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And so, what you're saying is, you know, um, work ethic usually isn't the issue. I mean, I guess it is for some folks, but if you if you decide to start your own business and you're gung ho for it, usually work ethic is 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 there in some meaningful way. What well, you're suggesting then, it's not about having, it's not about trying to uh, create a higher level of work ethic or anything like that. It's about being smarter with your time. Uh, and yeah. in your case, it's getting started earlier and wrapping up earlier, or at least putting yourself in a position where there's obviously flexibility in terms of location, where you work from, you can work pretty much from anywhere. Uh, and again, we're talking about pre-COVID, obviously it's even more true today um, and more, more expected and more allowed today than it was prior to. Um, but then the other thing is you're giving yourself flex time. So you're. Um, it's not that you're restricting anything, it's that after three o'clock, for instance, if, if there's nothing going on with the family and you need and want to work, you can. But if there is something going on with the family, you're basically saying three o'clock after that, it's flex time. I can do what I need to do. I can do what I want to do um, related to business, personal, family, otherwise.
1: Yeah, exactly. And it's yeah. just time management for the most part. I know throughout corporate career, time management is always a challenge. You know, the, the further up you go, right? The less time you have for yourself, right? You know, it's like, hey, I've got to wake up. I've got to hit the airport. I Get the airport, then I've got to. I've got to check all my emails and be on the yeah. plane. and Do some more work, Then when I get off the plane, I've got to go directly to the hotel, or I've got to go to a meeting, right? Then I'm the meeting to go to the office, and then next thing you know, I'm right back in it. And then yeah. right after that, I've got to go to dinner with people, right? And then by the time I might get back to the hotel at the end of the night. It's I'm exhausted. Better when <laughs> you're right back at it the next yeah. morning Yeah. so it, it is it, it does get tough but also the time management if you can hammer that that makes the work ethic so much easier to manage
0: right right um there's a new book out i can't remember the title uh discipline is freedom uh basically is is the essence of the title and then there's other books out you know make your bed and other books out by other other leadership folks that are in the same vein. The idea being that the more structured you are with your time, the more intentional you are with your time, the more freedom you actually have. Even though it seems on the surface counterintuitive, it's it's absolutely true. Uh, yeah, it, um, I, I obviously I
1: use several different tools to manage my calendar. Um, it just made life a lot easier when you're able to take control of your time. Yeah. And of other people controlling your time, you know, like when you have, you know, if you're in a department or you're working with six different clients, you know, and you just allow them to schedule time or call you at any time of day and it just dropped in your calendar without you knowing. It's it's inconvenient. And some people work in the fashion of when I'm working, I'm zoned in. Right. And then, next thing you know, you have somebody calling you or you have to hop into another meeting or things of that nature, which happens. And you have to be flexible. But for the most part, I try to say if you can control your
0: time as much as you can, you try to do so. Yep. That makes perfect sense. Um, And one of the things that we're going to talk about in just a second, we're going to do a little deeper dive into Red Beach. I want to you know, learn a little bit more about the firm and who you serve and how you serve them. But. After that, we'll talk a little bit about a tool um, that, that you've actually developed to, um, to allow for better uh, project and time management around the business side of what you're doing, which I'm excited to talk about too. So let's profile Red, Red Beach just for a second. Um, you mentioned largely in the tech space. Tell us a little about how the nature of that work happens. And really there's two main questions. Who do you serve and and how do you serve them? What what do those engagements look like? What value are you bringing to those types of clients?
1: Okay, so there's, there's kind of two subsets of clients we work with. Um, a lot of early stage startups mm-hmm. that are, um, sometimes they can be funded, sometimes they can be bootstrapped, sometimes they can be very early in the stage of growth or development really. And the services that we provide them is more, Go-to-market strategy, um, more examining the business idea, the business concept, how they're planning on growing their business, how they plan on scaling their business, and working with them to go from either one to two people in the business, up to 10, 20 people in the business, or really how to map that roadmap to success. Mm -hmm. To have have movement in their industry, do competitive analysis against other people in the industry, what their differentiators are, how they're moving forward and developing their product, their go to market strategy, um, corporate strategy, of course, messaging, things of that nature for early stage startups. Got it. And we don't we don't necessarily say, you know, you're too small or you're too early. You know, we'll always have the conversation and with those clients to find out where they're at or how people get started. That's mm-hmm. always the first. Then the other set of customers we work with are more so middle enterprise to large enterprise companies. So, you can say Fortune 1000, maybe the top 5,000 companies in the world or so, and really we focus a lot of our development on um, you know, product strategy, product marketing, operational efficiency. And obviously, you know, product marketing includes competitive analysis to a certain extent but also how teams are actually functioning inside the workplace. Team Tools, um, modernization, you call it transformation to a certain extent. Some of those things will come into a business and take a look at underperforming business units or business units that are new and growing and scaling and take a look at what they're doing. Yeah. And then as we talk about what they're doing from a product perspective, from a product marketing perspective, from a execution and service delivery perspective, and also what tools they're using to actually execute that, that's what our engagements are typically focused on. Understood. You know? Understood. So it's not so much a, hey, we just come in and, and tackle you know a myriad of issues. It's like, usually it's a new business unit that's starting we come in and we take a look at what they're trying to do or how they're trying to execute it and then how they scale, or we take a look at underperforming business units and then go in and say, okay, these are some of the things we have to change. These are some of the things we can help augment. These are some of the things we need to produce some more efficiency. So actually you can go back to, instead of being flat or declining, this is something you're able to go up and scale. Yeah,
0: yeah. that makes perfect sense. Um, in terms of the nature of your engagements, are they, you know, there's a lot of different business models that are available to consultants today. Um, and, you know, the, the traditional sort of status quo model is usually on hourly billing, there's project-based models, there's performance-based models. Not getting into any specifics as far as numbers or anything, but what are the? How do you engage with your clients in that standpoint? Is it is it customized projects with a beginning, a middle, and an end with a predetermined investment level? How does that? How do how do you work with the clients in that way?
1: Yeah, at times it's typically a. um, I'll say for early stage startups, sometimes they have capital, sometimes they don't. Right. Yeah. Sometimes it could be an equity play. Sometimes it's typically, most likely it's equity plus cash. Right. Okay. And that's typically in maybe in a, an SOW that's defined as far as where we're going, what we want to achieve in certain times. Okay. With the larger companies, that's typically an outlined scope of work that is defined in terms of what we're going to do and the timeline in which we're going to do so. Right. And it's usually a, a fixed fee for the most part. And then once we reach that fixed fee or that retainer, then we go forward and say, okay, let's renegotiate if we need to, or let's, these are the additional hours or we typically write another SOW for that.
0: Yep. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. So there's, there's whatever project you're starting with and you get near the end of that project and you're looking ahead, right? What else needs to happen? What else have we intended on doing that wasn't part of the original SOW that we need to focus on now that we're at this point of the process? Okay. That
1: typically that typically happens. You know, once you get into an engagement and you're talking to a client, you're usually peeling back layers of the onion and you start right. to find that there's other things that need to be addressed. And so, you know, my approach has always been as you start to uncover these items that need to be addressed within the business, the business unit, the technology or so forth, you know, raise those to the people that need to know. So you don't at the end of the at the end of the three month, six month engagement, you hit them with a list of five or six other things that need to be taken care of. Um, they're going to be like, where did all this stuff come from? Right. Instead of just being as transparent with your clients and saying, Hey, you know, we and I was talking to this person and this person and this person in your business, and they all three have different views of something that's going on. This is something we may want to address either now or in the future. Yep. That leads into more business further on or a longer engagement because then they're like, Oh, well, you're already intently familiar with the issue. You've already been here with the team three, six months why would I bring in somebody else to address this issue? I could just work with you and extend that engagement and yep. then let's go and solve those problems.
0: Yep. No, it makes perfect sense. It also makes a lot of sense what you're saying because I know some consultants will, you know, they'll pay attention during their project and then it is kind of like this dump of challenges and opportunities at the end of the project. And you're saying, you know, over the last six months, here's what I found out and this is where we need to go. Your approach of saying, um, bring those things up as they're uncovered um, makes makes a whole lot of sense for two reasons. Number one, obviously you're planting the seed for future ways that you can deliver value to that client. But number two, just bringing that thing, that challenge, that opportunity, that issue, that problem, just bringing it to their attention has value in and of itself, right? They have an awareness that they didn't have before and they can make a better decision, a, a more informed decision sooner than they would be able to do otherwise. So it does seem like that's, you know, building that into your process is, you know, makes a whole lot of sense. And obviously it sets you up for future, e- either an expansion of the SOW in real time, yeah. right? Uh, or a future SOW later. Um, yeah, exactly.
1: I think one of the, one of the things that as consultants, our, our job is not necessarily to withhold information or, Right. Tell everybody everything that's right in the business. Our job is to tell everybody what's really going on right. inside the business or department or team. Right. And so with that, in real time, if you uncover something or uncover a theme that is going to crop up and cause a problem later, the best part is just let's raise it, let's discuss right. it. This is something we need to think about going forward. Um, I'll let you know if there's anything else that piles on top of this theme. So we could really assess how big of an issue this is, or if you need to assign a person on your team to it now, or if we need to expand the SOW now, or if we want to try to go get budget for it in three, four months from now. You know, those are all things. Preparation is always key. Transparency is always key. And then having some level of foresight with it. You know, yep. typically, folks will say, oh, you know, I'm gonna go ahead, give me a list of people, give me an, uh, access to these systems. I'm gonna go back. I'm gonna do my assessment. I'll come back in six weeks with a full thirty-page report of everything I found. Right. Then you dump a thirty-page report on an executive that's already ex- immensely busy.
0: Right. And nothing and happens. Then, yeah.
1: And, not, and then nothing gets fixed. Yeah. And the client is 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 helpless. You as a consultant are out of an engagement, yep. and the problems still persist. This you know, is so a.
0: Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. And this is a, this is a issue uh, that I want to kind of stay focused on slightly because it, it, it segues directly into where I wanted to go next, which is around business development and kind of what your sales process is. And again, not asking you to reveal any secret sauce or or pull back the curtain too far, but this idea, what you're talking about of, of avoiding the, the information overload (laughs) Uh, for a prospective client all at once is I think really, really important. And instead finding a place that's meaningful, that they already have a perception that they need help in and simply starting there in a meaningful way. And then along the along that it may, and it may be a grand project. it may be a substantial you know soW in the first place. But along the way, identifying those other things, as opposed to saying, let's identify everything up front yeah, and then put it in front of you and then, you know, go through the process of, of creating a lot more stress on your end, Mr. Mrs. Prospect, <laughs> and then you know, stressing you out so much that you say, well, I'm going to need another six or nine months to even figure out where we even begin. Exactly. Right? Um, as opposed to just getting started with something that is that that is. A need in the moment. So maybe describe a little bit about what does, once you're into initial conversation, you're, you know, from the standpoint of you have the initial meaningful conversation with a decision maker, what does your general uh, process look like to cultivate that opportunity into a, into a a new project client?
1: Yeah, typically it's, uh, so, you know, I've always said the two rules of consulting are, you have to have somebody who knows they have a problem. Right. And then you know somebody who's willing to solve the problem. You have to have those both things in conjunction, which is difficult for us as consultants, because we meet a lot of companies that have problems. We read it in the news. You know, we have it in a casual lunch, business discussions, um, dinner discussions, you know, holiday functions. However, it is whenever you're talking to people who are working inside businesses, they're always going to have a challenge. Sure. Now, the other problem is 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 the people who are in charge of that challenge or problem willing to really want to solve it. And do they have a team that wants to solve it as well? You know, and and to have a successful consulting engagement, you have to have both. And so for us, a lot of our early discussions are around, hey, what's your challenge? You know, is this something this is something we can help you with and solve? Um, but also, do you have the resources to do it? Or do you have executive sponsorship to solve these challenges? Or do you have the available cycles yourself to be available to help solve the issue? Because if you don't, you know, if you can't commit time to it and you're inside the business, our efforts are going to be futile. Right. So it's one of those things to where our initial discussions are all about, okay, what's the problem? And do you have a lot of the resources and or time to solve it? Yeah. Then from there, it goes into let's find out who the stakeholders are. Let's find out if they're also bought in on the project as well. And this is then we start to develop kind of a timeline in terms of what we need to do without kind of digging too deep because we're obviously not inside the business yet. Then we outline a, a scope of work and then we give that scope of work to the client to say, this is what we're looking at. This is what our timeline is. These are the deliverables we're going to out. This is the timeline in which we're going to try to follow these. Um, and we we, st- we try to stick towards month and year, of course. So we Stay, don't say do that, that, that again. Work. Say that again, Ray. We try to stick to when we're developing our timeline of actions and what we're working towards, we try to outline everything via month and year. Okay. I know I've seen that with other consultants, is we'll just have a long list of scope of work of deliverables, and there's no date attached to it. I think holding yourself to date is extremely important, not only for you, but your team and also the customer and client. So that keeps you on track in terms of reporting and or progress that you've made. Right. You've got a list of five different deliverables with no date attached to it. Then people are like, when am I supposed to get this? Am I getting it all at the end of three months, four months, six months, 12 months? What, how do we gauge progress? And so I always think scope of work, timeline, attach dates to it.
0: Yep, no, that makes perfect sense. And what you're talking about is the magic of managing expectations, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, for, for both parties benefit, because if it is, if it, you may have a timeline, but if the timeline's too abstract, then you're just asking for mismanaged expectations. Even though you, you as the consultant may think you've communicated well in terms of what's gonna happen and when, if it's not specific enough, Then the client will always have almost always have a different perception of when they they want something or expect something. Uh, The more specific within reason uh, the scope of work can be, the easier it is to going to be to work with that client and to hold both parties accountable to one another. Exactly. That's the key is, hey. You know, and if other
1: items like we talked about, if you uncover other items, we all more than likely have a discovery or assessment process within, yeah. you know, consultancy firms. Um, when you go into companies and you start to uncover these items and peel back layers of the onion, you know, that can change your timeline that's in the S.O.W. Yes. yes. You don't have a timeline. You can't refer back to it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So that's right.
1: But That just change your timeline. And you don't have any dates attached to it then you're it, like you said expectations you know your client needs to expect hey I'm gonna get this at the end of March I'm gonna get this at the end of June I'm gonna get this at the end of August right and then you there you know and, and then if you have things or roadblocks that will change that timeline you could bring that up and that
0: d- develops a good project plan for you gotcha gotcha one uh, part of your process that I wanted to go back to if you don't mind is is the step prior to the specific scope of work. Um, And I think this is, correct me if I misheard, but I think this is the conversation with the stakeholders sort of in that part of your process. Um, I I assume that that is about ensuring that the stakeholders obviously value the problem or opportunity um, at least in a way that's equal to what needs to happen in order to fix it. In other words, if, if... if the problem has, in the eyes of the stakeholder, if the problem has a low level of value to be corrected or fixed, but it's going to require a high level of investment, well, it's probably going to stay a problem for now, right, or not have meaningful action. And so I assume part of that is 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 making sure that there's not a gap there or, ideally, making sure that, that the value that is created by solving this problem is, in the eyes of the stakeholders, is clearly… Um, clearly exceeds any required investment. Maybe talk a little about the nature of that part of your process or how you have that conversation. Cause I know for a lot of folks, that's where they get stuck. They may get in front of that decision maker um, and they've got their, they know what they know what they know already, right? And so yeah. it's we can do this, we can do this, we can do this, but they forget to have that that value conversation um, related to the outcomes of solving that problem or or taking advantage of the opportunity. What's your kind of approach to that part of the there's
1: I'd say 99% of the engagements that we we work with as a firm and not only include the executive sponsor, but also include a layer of team members. OK. And the yeah. challenges with those team members is they also need to see something as an issue. And if they don't see it as an issue or they think other items may be roadblocks to that issue. People always want buy in. They want to be heard to a certain extent. Um, they for the, for people to buy in, you typically want to gather their opinion or how they feel or what affects them in their day to day work. And so, just by having a quick conversation, either with stakeholders or things like that, which is, hey, we're undergoing this project, or we're you know we're discussing this project with this senior executive, and you're a key member of this project. We'd like to understand what challenges you have with this project, mm-hmm. how this affects you. Yep. And then from there, at least they just get to kind of do a dump as to how it affects their business, how it affects them and their team, their personnel or their day-to-day work life. Right. And then you just provide the ear to listen. And listening sometimes is more powerful than than selling or talking. You know, yeah, because absolutely hey, if I listen and I capture all of their concerns or how it affects them and I put that in that SOW and I say, hey, and I come back around and we close the engagement and I say, we talked before. This is something we're working on to help you and your department. They're all ears. Exactly. You know, and it breaks those barriers down. And, and that seems to help quite a bit.
0: I think what you're talking about is really, really important. And, and I've gotten held up by this. Um Myself more more times than I care to admit, uh, but where I will focus solely on, or in the past, I will focus solely on the decision maker, and it's I guess it's one thing if the nature of your work is only focused at the executive level, like if you're an executive coach and you're only working with that individual for you know the optimization of their performance as a leader or something like that. Well, obviously, there may not be a team a component that is required for implementation in order for you to succeed in that particular project. But that's not what you're talking about. You're talking about there is going to be a team that is going to be partially or perhaps largely responsible for the success of the implementation of this work and this project. And if an executive, the executive sponsor, the key decision maker simply says, this is what we're going to do, do whatever Ray tells you to do, That's probably not going to go over as well
1: (laughs) (laughs) into the conversation
0: and making them advocates for the project in the first place.
1: Yeah, we've um, you know, there are some engagements where you're just working with the executive sponsor inside the organization. The executive sponsor has the power or the wherewithal to kind of dictate what is going to happen and how it's going to happen. And sometimes I've had experiences to where the executives um, sponsor or the executive has already had conversations with the team. Like this is what we're going to do. Yeah. What are your challenges? What are your problems? And we're going to wrap this all in the SOW, and they go out and pick a pick a consultant or a firm, and they move forward. Other times you do have buy-in from other departments. Yeah. So yeah. you've got to collect that when you're working cross-functionally. Before you kind of step into the mind
0: field. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> Understood. Yeah, and I think that is so important because it is so easy to get focused on the decision maker in terms of the sell, right? And there are you know uh, sales trainers and teachers and gurus in the consulting space that'll say, you know, just focus on the decision maker, only focus on the decision maker. And from the standpoint of getting a, a signature on a contract, that's one thing. They are the decision maker as far as that signature goes. But then there's a second piece to this, which is the actual delivery, the actual uh, creation of value for the organization. And if that requires, um, you know, that secondary team or potentially, you know, team members on down into the organization that are going to be an integral part of whether that project succeeds or not. I think it's really smart to bring them into the conversation and make sure you're hearing them and listening to them in advance. Um, the other note too, which I've had this experience and I suspect you have too, and you, you alluded to this, is those lo- quote unquote lower level team members, even though they may be leaders themselves. Those lower level team members can oftentimes give you gold and insight that the executive may not have even been aware of, but that are critical to the project in the first place. Yeah, exactly. I think just having those
1: conversations, you'll start to, and this is something that probably happens, I'd say, in 99% of organizations, is the day-to-day operators of businesses are the ones that are doing a lot of the tactical work.
0: Right. We
1: have concerns, challenges, roadblocks that executive management may have heard of once every six months. Right. Yep. And nobody's aware of what's going on. And so that's that's something that typically that happens really, really often in engagements. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like I said, you know, sometimes there's consultants that go in and they say, this is how we do it, this is what we do, you know, we're gonna put this system inside of your business and this is how it ha- this is how it works. Our approach is more so let's listen, let's understand how they do business now. Yeah. Let's understand what challenges they have now. Let's understand who they have to kind of work within the business. And then let's develop solutions and strategies around that to solve a challenge.
0: Right. So right.
1: You well, know, the listening and the adaptation process to understand what we're dealing with versus we just go in with this platform. This is what we do. This is what yeah. it works. Every business, to a certain extent, is a snowflake. And yeah. you got Jump over those challenges to a certain extent, unless you are McDonald's or Chick-fil-A or something like that, where you're a franchise. Almost every business is an
0: independent snowflake. Yeah, yeah. You know what's interesting? I I I like this line of thinking too, because there is a there is a movement in the consulting space of productizing service, and I don't think the answer is pure customization or productization. I don't think that you say, "Oh, this is the way or this is the way." I think it's dependent upon two things and you, you just alluded to it. It's dependent upon who you're serving, the type of organization you're serving, and the type of service that you are providing. In terms of in in terms of your world where your service is compelled to be customized in order to be maximized and effective, right? If you want to do the best work for your client, provide them optimal value in the world that you're working in, especially if you think about the early startups and even the established organizations that are looking for you know, product strategy all the way to digital transformation, you are compelled to, to deliver as the value you're capable of, you're compelled to have a customized solution for them in order for them to get the good out of your own, out of your expertise. You trying to create a a purely rigid um, uh, productized service that has a box around it sounds like a recipe for – you you might help them get incremental results, but you're not going to help them maximize their results. Where in other industries or for other targets, I can imagine that uh, a productized service – could could be highly effective depending on where they are and what their focal points are. So I think this is a really interesting point, and I've had you know I've had people on the podcast before. They're talking about the advantages of productized service, and others folks are talking about the advantages of customized service. And I don't think it's um, I, I want to get and the reason I even bring this up is I'd love to get your take on this. I my perception is I don't think it's one or the other. I think it's who am I serving and how do I best want to serve them, and then is a productized service. In, in my and the client's best interests? And if so, yes. And then in many cases, that's not that's not true. It is trying to put a square peg in a round hole. What is your, I'm sure you've seen the same thing in, in the consulting industry about moving to productized, more scalable types of services. What's your perception of that? Good, bad, and different are, are there conditions or qualifiers? Maybe you've had experience with it. Yeah, it depends on the canvas that you have
1: to work with. Okay. You know? Describe that, yeah. You have a blank canvas, go in and put in the productized service, you know, which is, hey, we're just starting off with this business unit. You know, we just created this product. You know, we're trying to, you know, develop our messaging and, you know, website and, and things like that. And, you know lead funnels and operational process, how we deliver services and support and service. And we don't have tools. We don't have anything. We don't have a website. The product is, we need to go from zero to 100. Okay, if you have a productized service that can obviously solve all those challenges in one canvas, then you can start with that. That makes a ton of sense. You know, or if you have a client who is like, hey, whatever we have does
0: not work.
1: So we it's effectively
0: a blank canvas. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's effectively a blank canvas. Then that productized service works quite a bit. Um, however, more than likely in the engagements that we are a part of, we're already working inside of organizations that have, you know, some sort of paint on the canvas. Yep. They've either got some sort of process. They've got some sort of tools. They've got departments of people who are already responsible for certain actions. And so, you don't want to try to rip and replace that. You just want to go in and try to say, hey, these are ways that we can solve these challenges inside of the current framework that you have. Yeah, it, it makes a lot of sense. And maybe you have a productized service that can slide into one area, or maybe there's a gap in one area that is like, hey, if I'm writing a lot of product marketing content or product strategy content, maybe I've got a bunch of templates That I can plug in here and you can use. So then you got that productized, you know, service or that piece of your productized platform that you can use. However, you know, to try to plug in one methodology or one technology and try to say, "Hey, I, I know you use um, Salesforce over here. How about we rip that out and we fill (laughs) up like Active Campaign or HubSpot or or something like that?" That's That's problematic. yeah. You know, that's going to be very, very problematic. And so, you know, to as a consultant, a part of us is to think and be creative.
0: Right. I, uh, I hadn't ever heard the explanation that way before, but it makes perfect sense to me. Uh, this, this metaphor of, of you used canvas in terms of how much of the picture, how much of the picture do they have right already? Yeah. Right. How much of it is at least good, if not excellent? And your job as a consultant is to, number one, determine that, how much of the picture is, is in the, the level of resolution it needs to be, and where are the gaps. And, um, and yeah, obviously, the more paint that they have on the canvas that, that can and should stay there, naturally, the more customized the service needs to be. It's like working a puzzle at that point, right? You can't, the puzzle piece has to, be, fit, has to fit the right way. Um, whereas if you're starting with a blank canvas or you've got a big gap of the canvas that's blank in a particular area, well, the puzzle piece, the puzzle, our puzzle piece will fit there. Cause you ain't got nothing there. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. That's, and, and that,
1: that, you know, that process kind of works relatively well, but like we're all consultants. So more than likely when we walk in the door, we do some sort of discovery or assessment just kind of actually what we have to do because we have to learn what we're dealing with across the organization and that is when you start to say this is where we can plug in this service for
0: you yep makes sense i love it uh I, I, yeah i'm glad i asked you that question because this is something that's been in my head too when when yeah. consultants ask me about that that difference between customization and productization and which one's right for them and it's like it's never quite that clear it's really based on where the client's beginning, it's exactly what what you mentioned, which makes sense. Um, let's take a step back from the sales process for a second. What does your business development process look like from a from a marketing or prospecting point of view? Is I'm sure you get a lot of business that is in, you know direct introductions and referrals. Um, maybe tell us a little about the business development and and if if virtually all of your work now is through introductions or referrals. How did you how did you get track? You said you start with a couple of clients. How did you get traction in the beginning in terms of uh, you know, yeah. creating a healthy wow. pipeline? What does that look like? The pipeline all
1: started with just personal network. Yeah. That's how right. it started for the most part. I think for consultants, I'd say of the consultants I know in my network, 90 to 95% of them started with all personal connections or network. Right. And over the course of time, you know, you continue to develop those relationships and cultivate those relationships and You know, things like LinkedIn are perfect because then they start to say, hey, you changed your title and what's this company? And people in your network start to inquire about why you were moving, where you made the move um, and allows you kind of to hit everybody in an easy way. Um, For for us. Yeah, it started out as personal network, my personal network. And then from there, I started to develop partnerships with other consulting firms in different areas of the business.
0: Okay. So
1: it was like, hey, if I start to develop these relationships with these other firms, then we then start to develop some sort of business development pipeline partnerships referral network. Um, and that's been immensely helpful for us, you know, but also at the same time, it takes time to do that. It does, and right. I, as kind of what I've learned is, you know, a lot of people make introductions with the hopes of doing business immediately. Right. <laughs> Hey, we're going to, you know, oh, let's do this. Let's make this happen. Let's go. And really, it takes about 6, 12 to 18 months for that to really start to cultivate and have some sort of impact. And I say that because, if Scott, say you and I are, are saying we're going to enter a partnership of some sort. You're currently working on engagements right now. Right. I'm currently working on engagements in my firm. It's going to take us time to clear those engagements out before we can sit down and say, let's work together. Sure. So it takes conversations, takes follow-up, it takes developing the relationship, being available. And then you you go from there. So it's partly your network, partners, and other consulting firms. And then a small piece of it is more so just regular search and hunt and find business development opportunities. And there's a lot of sites out there that offer some of those opportunities um as a firm we've been able to close some great engagements with firms like service now um things of that nature that we found just in the general marketplace
0: right that's good you
1: know very but i'd say in consulting that's a very that's i won't say very small but i'd say it's 10 to 20 percent of the business that you're probably going to be able to close
0: yeah yeah you know what you're talking about i just wrote this down because it's a it's a it's a reframing of how i thought about the marketing and prospecting process and obviously i'm in the business development space and one of the primary things that i do with my clients is help them position themselves more efficiently and effectively in the marketplace so that they can have more visibility more credibility more authority all of that right leads directly into what you're saying why 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 be more visible why be more credible why be more authoritative well, the goal is to build out your personal network <laughs> of <laughs> of people who can hire you and want to hire you need to hire you, right? And so that's the whole point of it. But I hadn't thought about the nature of your uh, what I wrote down was focus on prospecting strategies that support network development. Either yeah. either for prospective clients or or partners, strategic partners. And if and if your prospecting efforts as a consultant focuses just if, if your primary focus is not on getting a sales conversation but if it's focused on creating a new quality relationship that's a win
1: yeah relationships drive consultancies
0: yeah yeah that's good um, I want to shift to um, talking about this this new initiative and new project that you're launching called starting point um, maybe talk a little bit about how it how you know the background of it that story and then kind of what it is, because I think this is a this type of solution is something that is much needed in our industry. And there are other solutions, but they are um, imperfect, <laughs> to say the least. Um, it, it seems like other solutions that do project management for consultants are um some are very good in one way, but they're missing other things. So I, I won't I won't say anything more. But tell us a little bit about Starting Point, what it is and what it does.
1: Yeah, what we did was uh, as a kind of I continue to build out Red Beach Advisors. I found myself with a gap of I've got a lot of consultants working on a lot of different engagements, and I didn't have the ability to see everything that was happening. Mm-hmm. What that turns into is asking a lot of incessant questions and or those long Friday emails of updating everything that you have going on this. Conversations, all that stuff. So at least I'm in the loop. And then my clients also didn't have a way to have a central method for contacting Red Beach advisors if they needed to. So say a consultant is out, maybe they may be sick. You know, this is we obviously started coming up with this idea pre-COVID, but it was like, hey, if a consultant's unavailable or not responding or anything like that, how do my clients, Red Beach Advisors clients, have access to us at the end of the day? And then for team members or consultants, how do they have a tool that functionally allows them to manage all of the communication with clients and then see all their engagements? and then manage their to-dos and their client's checklist and managing their client's expectations. We needed a tool to do all those things. And so we started building it in Red Beach Advisors. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. We started building it. We started running it across people like yourself and others in the consultancy space. And it turned into starting point, its own product, because people said, hey, this is something we can use. Right. So we built Starting Point, which is a workflow management and customer operations platform for consultancies and okay. service-based agencies. But the platform allows your client, you as a consultant, you then have your full portal that you can use. Your clients can log into the portal and submit questions to you, like a service management aspect. They can see everything that's happening with the projects. They can manage everything in terms of their expectations or their goals. They can manage everything in terms of onboarding and task lists and to-do list and upload files to you and your team. Then sure. within the platform, all of your consultants or your team members or yourself, if you're a solo consultant, can interact with your clients in one platform for everything that you need. And then if you're an executive and you've got multiple consultants that work under you, um, you can see everything that's happening inside the platform for all of your clients and customers. And so at no point, if I'm a customer of yours, Scott, and you've got another consultant working on something and I call you and I'm like, hey, can you give me an update on, you know, how things are going? Or I, I sent a note or I submitted an inquiry through the platform. All you've got to do is log into the platform, not knowing anything prior to what's going on with the engagement and be able to give me an answer as a client.
0: Yeah, right.
1: And so the platform itself is just a work a SaaS workflow management and customer operations platform that's available primarily for consultants and service based agencies.
0: That's phenomenal, um, and and you were kind enough to kind of walk me through uh, the system a week or two ago, and I was very impressed. And I um, need to get into the system and play around with it more. But everything that I've seen, um, it's very clear. Let me say this: it's very clear that the system was created by consultants. Uh, who are doing the work uh, because it does check off some of the key boxes. Um, Like you mentioned, just from a management standpoint, you've got the different tiers of of management and oversight that need to be there. Everybody from the leader of the consulting firm to the, to the consultants that are below that person. But the other key thing that I think is really, um, really, really valuable is the fact that the clients can have access and manage uh, manage. Help help manage the project. Do their part of the project within the system as well, um, and everybody can everybody who needs to can can see that. So uh, I think it's a really cool thing, and I'm I'm excited to uh, continue to to leverage it myself. Um, as we get close to the end here, uh, one of the questions, one of my favorite questions to ask, I'll certainly ask you, and that is, over your career, uh, personal, professional, um, what are maybe some of the top lessons that you've learned? Uh, wisdom, uh, items of wisdom that you might want to impart to the viewers and listeners today that could be beneficial to them.
1: Um, I'd say the one thing that is, there's w- one thing is free and it's people's opinions.
0: <laughs> yes.
1: Take advantage of listening to other people's opinions. Yeah. Because it will give you a lot more insight and it doesn't cost you anything. Right. Okay. That's one. Yeah. Um, Another thing that I've learned is, you know, I think a big thing is develop relationships with everybody across the board, you know, because the person, if, if you're young and you're thinking about getting into consulting, um, the people that you meet or you work in the office with when you're 20, 22, 23, 27, 28, yeah. 15, 20 years down the line, those are going to be the people that you're going to develop relationships with or have relationships with who are the ones who can open up budgets or call you when they need assistance. So if you develop those relationships very early, they'll carry on for the next 15, 20 years, and then you'll be in a position to where you can close opportunities or work together in the future. Um, Another thing I think is, I think for us that are in the corporate workspace and and consultants or otherwise, (laughs) it's a good thing to take care of yourself. Um, take care of yourself take care of your family place that as a priority um you know time management is key time is the only thing you can't give back um, make sure you take care of yourself take care of your health um, take care of your family um, and place a priority on that stuff Good. that's important because you know we're all on planes we're all in the airport eating junk we're <laughs> all at dinners Id, late night whatever it may be you know take care of your health And I
0: think that's very, very important for all of us. Yeah, that's great advice, great insight. Um, As we wrap up here, I want, uh, as you can make yourself available, I'd love for our viewers and and listeners to know how they can uh, learn more about you or reach out to you or contact Red Beach Advisors. Um, so certainly share that information. And then as well, for those, I I am confident for those who are interested in, uh, there are many people who will be interested in learning more about starting point. So for those who want to learn more, potentially leverage the system for their own firm, um, what's the best way for them to, to take the next step on that front as well?
1: Yeah, definitely. So, um, you can always find me on LinkedIn, um, Raymond McKenzie, um, Ray McKenzie, you'll see me out there. Um, feel free. I'm always open for conversations, always open to develop relationships, all that good stuff. So always open. We can find time for a call. LinkedIn is probably the best way to reach me. Great. Uh, and then you can obviously go to www.redbeachadvisors.com. Um, mm-hmm. It's the technology management consulting firm. And then for starting point, you can go to www.startingpoint.ai um we offer we offer an instance for up to two team members for free so if people want to try it out just contact us um fill out the form on our website um and we'll go through and walk you through an onboarding of the platform and kind of get you jump started to go so um looking forward to people kind of reaching out and contacting us and wanting to use the platform and you know we love everybody's feedback
0: that's fantastic that's great and i appreciate you being willing to uh, to share that um Ray, thank you again for the time. I sincerely appreciate it. I have another three pages of notes from our conversation, um, many of which I'll uh, I'll be reviewing and implementing uh, more or better in my own business. It's been enlightening. Uh, I appreciate the time and your willingness to be on.
1: Definitely. Thank you for having me, Scott, man. Enjoy the conversation as always. And hopefully uh, we'll have another
0: conversation in the near future. I will absolutely look forward to it. Uh, For Consulting with Authority, everyone, this is Scott Cantrell, as always, wishing you the best of success. Thank you for listening. I hope you got a ton of value out of this episode. And before we go, I want to thank the sponsor of our show, Smart Solutions Media. Smart Solutions Media empowers business owners, consultants, and other independent professionals to easily attract better prospects, and transform them into long term clients. If you're a B2B consultant or service professional and would like to start filling your pipeline with better quality prospects, visit us on the web at smartsolutionsmedia.com to learn more about what we can do to help you. Be sure to complete this short two minute accelerated growth scorecard you can find on the website, and you'll receive a complimentary strategy session where we'll give you specific insights and recommendations to help you attract high value clients. Until next time, Make sure you are consulting with authority.